Good morning, church family. It is wonderful to see all of you here this morning as we wrap up today, after nine weeks, this challenging and enlightening and, I pray, edifying study of the book of Habakkuk. For today, we will be looking at only three verses, those verses being Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, which are, as Ken Fench put it, Fentress put it, some of the most beautiful and profound words that have ever been written. For verses 17 through 19 are, in essence, church, the prophet Habakkuk's final response to all he has heard, all he has seen, and all he has learned throughout the entirety of his discourse with God. A discourse, mind you, that started with the prophet Habakkuk grumbling in chapter 1 about God being too slow to act in dealing with the wickedness, the sin, and the injustice that was running rampant throughout the nation of Judah throughout the land of God's covenantal people. To which God then, he responded to the prophet Habakkuk by saying to him, slow to act. Habakkuk, verse 5, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation." In short, telling the prophet Habakkuk here that he was going to raise up the wicked, the vile, and the depraved nation of Babylon to be the rod of discipline against the nation of Judah. To which Habakkuk then, in utter disbelief, responded back to God with yet another complaint. This time saying to him in verse 13, You God who are of pure eyes than to see evil, who cannot look at wrong, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Basically, how on earth can you, God, a God who is everlasting and sovereign and holy and faithful, let Babylon, a nation that is way more wicked than Judah, way more violent than Judah, and way more unjust than Judah, be the tool then that brings about judgment against the nation of Judah? To which God then, he responded back to the prophet Habakkuk for a second time. This time saying to him in chapter 2, verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. In essence, declaring to the prophet Habakkuk here that he, God, is faithful and that he, God, will most assuredly vindicate those who believe in his promises, preserve those who trust in his word, and ultimately deliver those whom he declares as righteous. Whereas on the flip side of that, that he, God, will also assuredly be faithful to justly judge the wicked, which is exactly, church, what we saw throughout the rest of chapter 3 where the prophet Habakkuk envisions God in all his power and glory and splendor and might coming into the world in order to destroy all his enemies, subdue all his foes, and rescue and save his people. And the prophet Habakkuk, he paints this comforting picture for his readers by recalling for them how God faithfully delivered his people in the past, particularly how he saved them from Egypt and destroyed destroyed the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. And thus, church, with that information, now in the mind of the prophet Habakkuk, and just having it stimulate and stir within his soul, there is really then only one thing left for the prophet Habakkuk to do. And that is, church, for him now, 
to rejoice in the God of his salvation. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, no matter what happens around you, you can rejoice in the God of your salvation because he is the Lord and thus will be faithful to ultimately deliver you. Christian, no matter what happens around you, you can rejoice in the God of your salvation because he is the Lord and thus will be faithful to ultimately deliver you. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Habakkuk chapter 3 as we'll be looking at verses 17 through 19. And if you are joining us this morning and do not own a Bible, please know there are Bibles located literally in each and every chair in front of you. Thus, please feel free to grab one. And if you do not own a Bible, please also feel free to keep one, to take one home, and to read it, starting today by turning to page 787 and joining us as we as a church body hear the Word of God together this morning. So again, church, we are in Habakkuk chapter 3, looking at verses 17 through 19 this morning, where the prophet Habakkuk writes, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, direct our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, and our souls this morning onto you, Lord. Lord, how comforting it is to know that we have a God who is for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Thus, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when we feel as though darkness is our only friend. Father, let us remember that we abide in you and that you now abide in us. And because of that, we always have great reason to rejoice, for the God of our salvation now dwells in us as his children. Father, let that be our strength and our song this morning as we wrap up this book of Habakkuk and let us cling to it as we go out into the world and face trials of various kinds. In this world, we will have temptations, we know that, and tribulations, we know that. But Father, we can still be a people who are the happiest people in this world because we have Christ for we have been saved from our sins, clothed in his righteousness, and reconciled back to our God forever and ever. Help us to be a joyful people, Lord. Father, I pray that you give me this, this morning the words to speak. Help my lisping and stammering tongue. Lord, I pray I be bold, confident in your word, because it is your word and not my own. Humble and give this dear flock the truth that they need this morning. Guide me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, you are not exempt from the trials of this world. However, even in the midst of your trials, you can still rejoice in the Lord because he is the God of your salvation. Christian, you are not exempt from the trials of this world. However, even in the midst of your trials, you can still rejoice in the Lord because he is the God of your salvation. Verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So we left off last week, church, in verse 16, with the prophet Habakkuk's legs trembling, his lips quivering, and with rottenness having entered into his bones because he had received revelation from the Lord that the day was coming when the mighty nation of Babylon would indeed, verse 16, invade the nation of Judah, and that Babylon would come into Judah and do exactly what Babylon does, that being they would come for violence, they would seize dwellings not their own, gather captives up like the sand, sweep by like the wind and go on and leave only a path of death and destruction in their wake. And honestly, church, that is exactly what happened. For as one commentator put it, in 586 B.C., the capital city of Judah, Jerusalem, it was sieged and burnt up, and the walls of the city were all torn down, and all the military, civil, and religious leaders in Jerusalem were either executed or carried away into Babylonian captivity, and only the poorest of the poor were allowed to remain within the land." And thus what we are seeing here, church, in verse 17 is really a bleak and unsettling picture of what the prophet Habakkuk is envisioning Judah to be like once Babylon comes through and absolutely plunders this once great nation to the point where even, verse 17, the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now what we have to keep in mind here, church, is that this was an economy in Judah that was based on its agricultural system. Therefore, for Babylon to come into the land of Judah and to carry out their scorched earth mentality to the point where even the figs won't blossom, the fruit won't grow, the fields won't produce, and the animals won't survive, you add all that up here, church, and what the prophet Habakkuk is anticipating are some hard, hard times coming Judah's way. Because although the people of Judah could have survived the loss of figs, and gone without their fig cakes for a season. And although the people of Judah could have survived the loss of olives and gone without olive oil for a season, you start taking the fields away and the grain and the wheat and the barley and you start taking the flocks away and the milk and the wool and the meat and what you have here, church, is a nation that is going to feel the sting of the Lord's discipline well past the days of the Babylonian invasion for the nation of Judah is about to go through a season of economic hardship and famine and hunger and pain. Nevertheless, although all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant church, later it does yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, does it not? 
Hebrews chapter 12. For as David Burgess writes, lap dogs, they never get real powerful because they are pampered. Whereas the wolf, because he has to run fast in order to catch his meal and has to fight to stay alive, now the wolf, that is an animal that gets strong. And that's the way it is with people as well. For history is full of stories of people and of nations who failed because life became too easy. The great Roman Empire, for example, which at one time dominated practically all of the civilized world, fell when the people began to want nothing more than bread and games. And then the barbarians swept down from the north and took over. Therefore, during our trials and troubles, Christian, God teaches us endurance. And make no mistake, we certainly need endurance for our spiritual walks. Now, as I mentioned last week, in this world, we will have tribulation, John 17. And in this world, we will meet trials of various kinds, James chapter 1. And in this world, we will be grieved, 1 Peter chapter 1. However, it is in the midst of these trials and tribulations and hard times, church, that we have a decision to make. For when our kids get sick, when our parents get cancer, and when our spouses get laid off, for it is in the midst of these dark seasons of life, church, that we can either begin to abhor and deplore and hate and run from the things of God, or we can run to God, rely on God, know that his power is made perfect in our weakness, and by God's grace, do exactly what the prophet Habakkuk does in verse 18, that being to rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of our salvation. Because too often we fall into this trap of thinking, church, that we can only find joy in the Lord when everyone in our family is healthy and when all our bills are paid and when our car and house and 401k are all doing well and that it is impossible to find joy in the Lord when we are dealing with sickness, when we can't keep up with the bills and when our house is leaking, our car is smoking and our 401k is bleeding. However, brother Christian, sister Christian, that line of thinking is absolutely not true. Because even if you are not thrilled about your circumstances or not happy about your current state of affairs, you now, Christian, abide in God. And God now abides in you in that he will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, you always have the grounds needed, Christian, to find joy in the Lord. And thus, it doesn't matter then if you have been called to go through a season where the fig tree doesn't blossom, the fruit doesn't grow, the fields won't yield, and the flock is cut off because even in the midst of all of that Christian, the God of your salvation has still predestined you, called you, regenerated you, justified you, adopted you, abides in you, and will come again to eternally save you. Therefore, the message I want you to grasp this morning, Christian, is this. For although this world Although it may hate you and punish you and reject you, and although you might not have bread on the table, money in your pocket, or fancy clothes on your back, and although you might get sick and your bodies will fail you and your loved ones will pass away, you, Christian, through it all, can still rejoice in the God of your salvation day in and day out. Because to rejoice in the Lord, even when the chips are down, it is, as F.F. F. Bruce put it, the evidence of saving faith. And we, as the children, 
children of God, as the redeemed, as those who God has declared righteous, we live by faith. Faith that after we have suffered a little while, that the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore us, secure us, strengthen us, and establish us. 1 Peter 5. Therefore, because of that promise, Christian, no matter the situation we find ourselves in, in the here and now, we can still rejoice in the Lord because we know deep down that if we remain steadfast and pass the test, that we will ultimately receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Therefore, Christian, love the Lord, hope in the Lord, abide in the Lord, and find your source of joy rooted solely in the Lord, knowing that even in the midst of your most trying of times, that you have a God, Christian, who will never leave you or forsake you, but has instead promised to abide in you, to keep you, and to ultimately deliver you from the evil one. And thus, because of all of that, Christian, you can rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, again, I say, rejoice. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. Being able to rejoice in God in the midst of your trials, it is only possible if God truly is your Lord and your strength. Being able to rejoice in God in the midst of your trials is only possible if God truly is your Lord and your strength. Verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. So previously, church, the prophet Habakkuk with violence and iniquity before him, with strife and contention surrounding him, and with justice being perverted all around him, he quite honestly took issue with the Lord, questioned the Lord, and brought a rather serious complaint before the Lord. And similarly, when the prophet Habakkuk heard that God was going to use Babylon as the tool of discipline against the nation of Judah, Habakkuk again took issue with the Lord, questioned the Lord, and brought yet again another serious complaint before the Lord. However, after hearing the report of the Lord and receiving answers from the Lord and seeing the coming manifestations of the Lord, although the prophet Habakkuk understood that in the very near future it was going to get ugly and awful and dreadful throughout the nation of Judah. And yet, despite all of that church, Habakkuk now he no longer takes issue with the Lord or questions the Lord or brings any further complaints before the Lord, but instead, as we saw in verse 18, the prophet Habakkuk has simply decided from here on out to rejoice in the Lord because, verse 19, God the Lord is his strength, meaning that unlike the Babylonians whose own might was their God, the strength of Habakkuk, the confidence of Habakkuk, and the unwavering faith of Habakkuk is now solely based on a God who is God of gods, Lord of lords, and the great and mighty and awesome God, Deuteronomy 10, who will, verse 19, make his feet like the deer's and make him tread on the high places. Charles Ryrie, in his book, So Great Salvation, he illustrated the mighty power and the mighty work of God in the lives of his children this way. For he wrote, 
A three-year-old boy felt ever so secure in his father's arms as they stood together in the middle of the pool. However, for fun, the father began walking slowly toward the deep end of the pool, gently chanting deeper and deeper and deeper as the water rose higher and higher around the child. Now the boy's face registered increasing degrees of panic as he held all the more tightly to his dad, who, of course, could easily touch the bottom of the shallow pool. Now, had the child been able to analyze the situation, he would have realized that there was no reason for increased anxiety, because the water's depth at any point in the pool would have been enough to go over the boy's head, even the shallowest part of the pool. Therefore, had the boy not been held up by his father at any point, he surely would have drowned for the boy's safety anywhere in that pool depended completely on his father. Now, at various points in our lives, Christian, all of us feel as though we're getting out of our depth. Problems abound, a job is lost, someone passes away, etc. And our temptation is to panic, for we feel like we've lost complete control of our lives. Yet, similar to the boy in the pool, the truth is we've never been in control. Instead, we've always been held up by the grace of God, our Heavenly Father, and that does not change simply because our situations do. Therefore, if God is never out of His depth, then we are always safe even when we're going into deeper waters than we've ever been before. And thus, is it any wonder, Christian, why the prophet Habakkuk can write that when the children of God rely not on their own might, but instead rely completely and solely and exclusively on the strength of the Lord, that he, God, will make their feet to be like the deer's, and that although their adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, they, the children of God, will never fall victim to him, but instead with grace and with balance and sure-footedness, they will be able to dodge his attacks, to avoid all his his traps, and to keep themselves away from him. And not only that, church, but they will also, verse 19, be able to tread on high places. Meaning, as Walter Chantry put it, just as the victorious warrior would march along the highest ridges of the land in which he had conquered, so too that can the Christian know that they will ultimately be more than conquerors through him, Christ Jesus, who loved us. For that is the eternal reality of every Christian who relies on the strength of the Lord, trusts in the promises of the Lord, and holds fast to the word of the Lord, that they will be able to rejoice in the Lord now and forevermore since God is the one who strengthens their heart and will ultimately deliver those whom he declared as righteous. Nevertheless, I assume we have some people here this morning thinking, Pastor, I hear you, that we as Christians should be able to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of our most trying of times. However, quite honestly, Pastor, I, 
I just can't. Because although it may be easy for you to just stand up there in your pulpit and say, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, with all due respect, you haven't gone through all the illnesses that I have gone through, or you haven't gone through all the trauma that I've gone through, or you haven't gone through all the rejection that I've gone through, or the pain I've gone through, or the depression, or sorrow, or anxiety, or the years of heartbreaking sadness that I've had to go through. Therefore, since you haven't gone through what I had to go through, and since you haven't experienced all the pain that I've had to endure, then don't stand up there, preacher boy, and tell me, based on your own limited 34 years of life experience, that I somehow should rejoice in the Lord always when you know nothing about the kind of trials that I've had to endure. And if that is any of you this morning, church, struggling to rejoice in the Lord as you are caught up in the midst of a season of life where you feel as though darkness is your only friend, then lovingly, let me share with you this morning that your season of strife, that your time of trial, that your period of pain, it is not unique only to you meaning you are not the only person in this world that has gone through what you are currently going through. For as 1 Corinthians 10.13 puts it, for no temptation has overtaken you yet that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. And thus, if that is the case, and that no temptation or trial is unique only to you or common only to you, and that God promises as your heavenly Father to not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but to provide for you a way of escape and to make your feet like the deer's so that you will ultimately be able to overcome it. And since God does not lie, then the question that I must ask you this morning, Christian, is this. What then is your strength? Because if your money is your strength, then I can see why you struggle with joy as the stock market bounces up and down. Or if personal pride is your strength, then I can see why you struggle with joy when people's opinions about you change. Or if power or control or authority is your strength, then I can see why you struggle with joy when people around you don't do exactly as you say. Because it is only Christian when the God of our salvation is our Lord and our strength that we can be stripped of all of our fancy cars and houses, titles and jobs, positions and authority, freedoms and rights, health and wealth and prosperity, and still say that whether I face plenty or hunger, abundance or need, that I can still do all things through Christ who will strengthen me. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, if you want to be able to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of your suffering, then don't seek the strength of your own might, nor the power of the world's might, nor the wisdom of the government's might, nor the tenacity of the media's might, but instead seek the strength of the Lord, place your trust in the Lord, and put your confidence in the Lord, and he will be faithful, Christian, to be your refuge in a day of trouble and to give you victory through his son, Jesus Christ. For God and God alone is our strength and our shield. Therefore, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that you may tread on the highest of places with the feet as steady as the deer. 
Now, as we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here first. And non-Christian, the reason why it is so critical for you to rely on the strength of the Lord instead of the strength of your own might is because, quite frankly, to rely on the strength of your own might is to ultimately pay the price for your own sin. And the wage of your own sin, the cost of your own sin, it is that of eternal condemnation, punishment, judgment, and wrath. No ifs, no ends, and no buts about it. However, non-Christian, if you were instead to turn from your sins and rely on the strength of the Lord and place your faith in the Lord, well, then, non-Christian, you'd be saved from your sin and given the gift of eternal life. And I'm sure you're sitting there this morning thinking, well, how on earth could that even be possible? For a sinner to be reconciled back into fellowship with a God who is holy and just and upright and good. And the answer to that question, non-Christian, is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the good news that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, broke into this world as truly God and as truly man and lived a life here on earth that we could never live. Meaning Jesus Christ lived a life here on earth, non-Christian, that was perfect and sinless and flawless and righteous. And thus he, Jesus Christ, then fulfilled the law of God, non-Christian, perfectly and completely for the children of God. However, non-Christian, not only did Jesus Christ fulfill the law of God for the children of God, but he also paid the price for their breaking of that law, meaning Jesus Christ willingly bore the wrath that we as sinners deserve for our sin in that he was crucified on a cross at Calvary in our place and died a sinner's death as our very substitute, as an atoning sacrifice on our behalf. However, non-Christian, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it does not end there because being that Jesus Christ is truly God, and being that Jesus Christ never sinned, sin and death then, they had no power over him, no authority over him, and couldn't keep the sinless Son of God dead. Therefore, three days later, although crucified and dead and buried Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, and he conquered sin and destroyed death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you in his righteousness, his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. And today will be the day, non-Christian, that you are forgiven of your sins. Today will be the day that you are declared right and today will be the day that you are adopted into the family of God forever. Therefore, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the only one with the power to forgive you of your sins and to give you the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, this morning we considered that as the people of God, that as the children of God, that we really can be a joyful people even in the midst of our most trying of times. 
because our God is the God of our salvation and thus will be faithful to strengthen us, faithful to protect us, faithful to keep us, and faithful to complete the work he started in us at the day of Jesus Christ. However, as we close this morning, Christian, and wrap up this glorious book of Habakkuk, I'd like to do so by considering how we as Christians can be strengthened in the Lord, or how we as Christians can increase our faith, our trust, and our confidence in the Lord, even in the midst of the trials that we may face. And I'd like to do so by contemplating the life of the prophet Habakkuk here. Because as we have seen, church, over the past nine weeks, the prophet Habakkuk at times, throughout the course of this book, has taken issue with the Lord and questioned the Lord and did indeed bring his complaints before the Lord. However, church, even in the midst of his questions and complaints and confusion, at no point did he, Habakkuk, run away from the Lord or stop pursuing the Lord or stop faithfully waiting on the Lord. But instead, even in the midst of his trials and pain and confusion, the prophet Habakkuk, he still sought the Lord and brought his requests and questions and complaints before the Lord. And through this season of prayer and questioning, waiting and seeking, pursuing and wrestling with the Lord, the prophet Habakkuk came out of it knowing and loving and trusting the Lord like never before. To the point where at the end of the book, as Tim Mackey put it, the once complaining prophet, is now the shining example of what it means, church, for the righteous to live by faith. Because even though the world around him is about to come crashing down, and Babylon is about to invade Judah, and lots of people are about to die, and economic disaster is about to strike, despite all of that, church, the prophet Habakkuk, he still can find joy in the Lord because the Lord is the God of his salvation. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, when you get bad news, like really bad news, honestly, where is the first place that you run? For when your health is failing you, your wealth is passing away from you, and the entire world is being turned upside down on you, where do you run? For do you run to Fox News or to the scriptures? to the internet or to prayer, to alcohol to dull that pain away, or do you meditate on how faithful God has always been to his people in the past? Church, we are saturated now as a culture with information. For we have our phones on us 24-7, the news always playing in the background, and the internet always at the touch of our fingertips. And thus, because of that information now being so readily available to us, let me ask you this question, Christian, honestly. Today, this morning, right now, what do you know more about? For do you know more about politics or do you know more about the God who created the universe? For do you know more about your favorite Marvel superhero series or do you know more about the God who said that he would save his people from their sin? For do you know more about your favorite athlete or celebrity or whoever or do you know more about the God who sent his son into the world to die for you? My point here is this, Christian. If you want to be strengthened in the Lord, grow your trust in the Lord and possess a faith that is unflinching, unwavering, and un 
uncompromising in the Lord, so much so that you can wholeheartedly rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of your sufferings, then you need to pursue the Lord Christian more than your Netflix accounts, to seek the Lord Christian more than your iPhones, and to meditate on the word of the Lord Christian more than your Amazon orders. And honestly, just pant for the Lord like a deer pants for water and desire him more than anything else in this world. For as C.S. Lewis wrote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Brother Christian, sister Christian, do not be easily pleased. Do not be easily amused and do not settle for the mud pies of this world for they all are passing away. But instead seek the one Christian who is more fulfilling than bread to the hungry, more satisfying than water to the thirsty, more precious than gold to the needy, more comforting than health to the sickly. Seek Jesus Christ, Christian, above all else for he and he alone is life. Because what does it profit a man, Christian, to seek and desire and to crave the world only to gain it and to lose his own soul? For the answer to that question is absolutely nothing. However, for those willing to lose everything, to give up any, everything, and to forsake everything for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, seek the Lord your God, Christian, above all else, and he will give to you the very desire of your heart, that being himself, in that he will be your God, Christian, forever and ever, and you will joyfully fully and eternally be his redeemed people. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body keep ourselves in the love of God even in the midst of our trials. For why when trials and tribulations and suffering do come our way, Father, that our initial response is to run from you as opposed to running to you and seeking your goodness, your kindness, and your strength above all else. Lord, if we have run from you in the past when our goings got tough, forgive us. Forgive us the sin when we ran to the media, ran to the internet, ran to Facebook, and ran to people in power that we thought could strengthen us more than you. Forgive us. However, you are a good, good father, Lord, one who cares for the birds of the air and who dresses the lilies with splendor. Therefore, help us to pursue you in all that we do, to seek ye first your kingdom, your righteousness, and your word above all else, so that our faith be strengthened in you and only you. For you, God, have promised us that you will never leave us or forsake us, but will instead deliver us as your children, as those whom you have declared declared as righteous. Therefore, give us the strength, Lord, to live by faith in you so that we may rejoice in you in all that we go through, even in the midst of our trials. Let's pray. Father, how easy it is for us to say that we count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds, that we consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And yet when the trials do come and the fires come close, 
Lord, we turn from you. We seek the world, we seek this, that, and the other, and we don't rely on you. Father, forgive us. And strengthen us this morning, I pray. Lord, help us to be a people who rely solely on the God of the universe. You are our joy and our strength. Lord, as those whom you have predestined in love, we have the God of the universe, the God of our salvation, dwelling in us, abiding in us. Let us be faithful to you, Father. Let us work out our salvation with fear and with trembling, knowing all the while that it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Father, let us seek you more than anything else we seek in this world. Let us desire you more than anything else we desire in this world. And oh, our joy will be made complete in you. Lord, help that to become a reality in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.